Hi there and welcome to Future Talk with myself, Sam Klusker and Harry Moy. This week we're going to be talking about EdTech and the future of education. Harry, how are you doing today? I'm okay, thank you, Sam. There's the uh, it's been about it's been like two or three weeks since we recorded this, although because we had batched recorded before, so uh, I always feel a bit uh, a bit rusty. Uh, apart from that, as well, there's with the time at which this was recorded, uh, Elon Musk has fucked the Bitcoin market, <laughs> yeah. uh, which in fact hasn't annoyed me too much because I I withdrew my Bitcoin a week earlier. So mm. with my Bitcoin last week, so it hasn't really affected me all that much, but just the arguments that he's making kind of pisses me off. Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of an insane three weeks, hasn't it? With the UK lockdown restrictions being lifted as well. So um, it's really just been a scramble for me to sort of like keep on top with the good habits. Yeah. And then, yeah, just to keep up with the cryptocurrency market at the same time, it's just like, what is going on at the moment? It isn't possible yeah. to keep up with. Bitcoin, Dogecoin, all of, just all of that, just the movement is is crazy. Yeah, you have to wonder: Is this is are, are we in? Are we reaching the with, with the way Dogecoin was going? Are we reaching the sort of the peak of the bubble? There's the argument that we're not going to see that until September, mm-hmm. something. But I don't know. It it just it just feels a bit wild when you've got Dogecoin having billions and billions of transaction volume happening each day. Yeah, and uh, I think there was a chart which is like there's the most fear in the market that there's been since like August 2020. So, oh yeah, like the greed and fear. Yeah, the greed and yeah. fear chat. Yeah, so I, th- I think yeah, it's shown that it's starting to move towards fear now. Sketchy so, times. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, you know, talking about this episode, if uh, if our crypto does crash, we've got to educate ourselves in something else, haven't we, to uh, to make some money off? <laughs> well, no. What we could just do is we could just make our own courses and then and then sell those courses. But <laughs> as we market those courses. We ignore the fact that we had suffered the crash. Yeah. We we only post when uh post the pictures of <clears throat> being twenty something thousand percent up and ignore the bad times and then and show like the watches. Uh might have <laughs> the rent, watches. Rent, just just rent a watch or something, rent a Patek Philippe or something for a day and then just take a photo, make it look like we earned it from hustling on bitcoin and well from on crypto markets and then sell that and make yeah. it out there's over geniuses private jet studio and all that other crap that goes along with it yeah yeah exactly exactly cool. yeah i mean uh you obviously t- touch on a subject of we'll, we'll probably get onto about saturation of uh training courses online um is there any particular bit though before that you'd like to start on so i think the the pandemic has changed uh, has changed online uh, mm. online learning where Schools are now having to have, have been going online. But I think beyond schools, I think it's legitimized. Uh, it's legitimized online learning as as a way to learn, mm-hmm. but also live online learning and live online training as opposed to self paced training. And the reason I think it's important that this has happened is the the economy is shifting, and when you've got people that if if after uh, after you graduate from university within the first 10 years if you don't go to grad school if you don't do a postgraduate degree the likelihood is is that you're not going to beyond, once you're over the age of 30 or so you're probably not going to go back into education mm-hmm. but it's really important that with education well with sorry with the economy changing skills are changing and yeah. with that we need to be fostering a culture of 
retraining of education where for people in their 30s and 40s, it is acceptable for them to reskill and retrain. I don't think we've really had the infrastructure in place for that recently, but I think we're now going to get that now because universities, colleges, they can only fit a certain number of people inside physically. Mm-hmm. So there's a restriction between mature students and, uh, and you know, just I suppose young students, as it were. But now with online education, that capacity can be broadened. So I think that that's one of the things that governments will need to do is find ways of incentivizing and encouraging people to retrain and use online platforms to retrain and reskill. Yeah, and I suppose the bandwidth is a, is a really good point in that there is no limitations as long as you have a laptop. In theory, like the rooms, as long as you have like a big enough Zoom license or what have you, it should be like accommodate everyone. Yeah. It's a good point because I feel like we've had this conversation, maybe it was on a previous episode about mature students and sort of the stigma around people trying to reskill. It's kind of like, I think that's heightened by going physically to a place. So when I was doing my computing degree, there were a few mature students that obviously wouldn't really speak to any of the rest of the cohort. And it must be quite alienating to go physically to a place and sort of like have to be sticking out like a sore thumb as a mature student but like learning online you don't really have that that stigma you you can obviously be anonymous when you're doing your learning um and another thing around stigma is I always feel like you know like open university which has kind of always been this like online university for people that are doing part-time courses I feel like for for many many years they had to like really shake the stigma of oh, well, it ain't a proper uni. Like, it's just for people that couldn't yeah. take uni. Yeah. And honestly, it feels like they kind of just, like, hedge their bets in the right way because they've got the foundations laid down now for this, like, next decade or two, whereby online learning, there's a real shift into that mindset. And actually, what you probably found is that those that were studying at a, like, physical uni, I guess you can call it, that had the pandemic hit, they were getting suboptimal services in terms of their learning mm-hmm. for the money that they were paying. But if you were an open university student, you'd be like, yeah, chilling. Don't even make a difference to yeah. me. Huh? If anything, I've got more time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they're, they're better suited to it. They're better yeah. suited to the, to the way that, uh, that you learn uh, online. Mm. And, and yeah, but I think what I found quite eye opening. So being on the, um, on the on deck writing fellowship, what I found has been quite eye-opening is the the simplicity in actually setting up uh, like an an online university. So, so what is on deck quickly? So so on deck is a uh, like they're they're trying to be like the 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 Stanford of the internet. Okay. So it's a bunch of different courses, different cohorts, different fellowships. So and they're kind of phased they're they're phased around certain um, uh, like career paths or certain categories. So you've got writing, uh, podcasting, but then they've got like founders so pe- for people that want to found mm-hmm. their own company. They've got ones that are in specific sectors like healthcare and, and climate. But at its core, it's, a, it's Slack and it's Zoom. So it's two tools that they've created a, a process for. They've got Notion as well. And there's, there's like a, a site that's got all of their videos, all of yeah. the session videos. Like a Vimeo but, or something along those lines. And, yeah, so it's and, and, that, and all the videos are on Vimeo. They're all they're all using uh, they use Vimeo to, to okay. host the videos. Uh, but it's it's like a and then it's just like a directory of all the students. But at its core, it's that's really simple because they've not built anything. 
Mm. So they've not written code. They've not produced their own website. Well, they've obviously produced their own website, but they've not produced their own platform to support all of this. It's it's Slack. It's it's Zoom fundamentally. But the value that they're able to deliver through that is is immense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I I I'm uh, like I I feel like the the money. I mean it's it's like a, a just just over a thousand dollars, and I feel like it's been money well spent so far. It's only halfway. I'm only halfway into it. Uh, and you think it's just it's over it's over uh, it's over um, a, a grand. And there's probably on the on the writing fellowship and the and I'm on the third cohort. There's about a hundred, two hundred students. So that's nearly two hundred thousand dollars in income that they're making from from this one cohort, which is eight yeah. weeks. And then you've got all the other various sectors, some of which they're charging four, five thousand dollars. Ah, so they vary. Yeah. So the one that for people that are starting their own company, that's more expensive. For people that want to become angel investors, they've got one on angel investing. That's more expensive. So for the, they're, they're able to make like quite a lot of money, but really the, the underlying stuff to support it isn't, from a technology perspective, isn't that sophisticated. Yeah. Just, like you said, a Zoom license. Not just get yeah. a big Zoom license. That's what, that's what they've managed. Yeah, and I guess like no engineers needed for maintenance or support of those tools because obviously that's handled exactly. by those companies. Yeah, it's quite surprising actually. Like when you were talking about on deck, in that I was expecting some sort of bespoke platform that like provided all of the sort of like sessions, etc. But like if you think about it, like why would you need that? Like you don't. Mm. It's just extra overhead that you don't really need. Because what matters really is for them the the investment that you're going to make is the people. The big yeah. that's that's where for some companies, you know, obviously you want to get you want to employ you want to employ good people, but you also need to pay for, but you pay for them to build technology and, and build a, a good platform. But for them, it, the value proposition is purely in the people that are teaching. Mm-hmm. As the value proposition is not in the technology at all. It's in the people that are teaching the, the classes because they're people that you want to learn from. And it's it's the the way they're, they're framing their education, the, the, the way they're doing the course-based learning, the cohort-based learning and how that all works. The, the value proposition of the business is not in the is is in no way in the technology. So why invest in the technology? Yeah, it see, it sounds like as well like you know sort of going back to this stigma thing is like they've been using sort of like big names, celebrities, influencers. Uh, in your case, you had um, Pump's wife. Like you know these sort of like writing household names to sort of maybe coerce people to give and get a go because I still feel mm-hmm. like there is like it's swimming upstream. I feel like with these online courses. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like we did touch upon it with the whole saturation. And it's because it's kind of like, where's the trust? Like, how do we know that what you're paying for is really going to be valuable to you? Um, and like putting big names on to be the people that are teaching you is obviously a, a great a great way to like legitimize the course. But um, I found like with my own learning as like a DevOps engineer, I, I've been on like Udemy. If anyone's like aware of Udemy, it's kind of like a free for all and people making their own courses and and you buy per course and usually they're on cheap for like 15 pound but this terraform one i've got is like really bad like super bad really yeah it's not it's not edited well it's basically just this guy fumbling around going oh uh um oh this hasn't quite worked it's like it's really weird like it hasn't he hasn't bothered to put any editing in it at all and it you know probably questions about like the auditing of udemy and i feel like there is this side of it whereby 
people are just like jumping on the bandwagon to like sell courses as we joked about earlier um that maybe ta- like tarnish the reputation of these more legitimate courses the only difference between on deck and udemy is the price so is price now the denominator for whether it's a legit course or not i'd say that the the other thing with on deck and the other thing that on deck really pushes is the alumni interaction and mm. the cohort interaction of communicating to people that are on your cohort and trying to they there's the learning value proposition but then there is this sub uh, aspect the kind of the secondary benefit which is the community aspect and uh, and building like a network and and, and stuff and um, you know I was I was uh, telling you last week about how there's kind of like a, an opportunities come about for us through um, through my being on on deck and and speaking to to somebody who's on a completely different on deck cohort mm. uh, and there's a you know we've got a, an opportunity that that we could pursue so I think with on I think the on deck the, the price definitely does help justify uh, sort of just uh, sorry the 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 yeah the price justifies the prestige of it yeah and but with Udemy I think. It is like you said. It is just a free for all. It is just people kind of throwing up a course and just seeing seeing what happens. And yeah. there is a thing with Udemy of people pirating courses from other content providers and then uploading it to Udemy and trying to make money. Oh, really? From that that is that. a real th- that is a real thing. But with Udemy, the value proposition is they've had to build a technology because their, their value proposition is embedded in allowing course creators to upload courses. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and then and then get it but there has been a shift i think in the way online education uh, is kind of framed so udemy's been around for ages udemy's been around for uh, six seven eight years mm-hmm. like i remember using having udemy courses like many years ago buying udemy courses but you get them when they're like a tenner 10 yeah. pound 15 quid whatever but now i think there is this bigger push to cohort-based courses like on deck but there's other ones there's uh, i was speaking to you earlier about uh, a course called building a second brain there's there's another course called rite of passage uh, there's uh, a guy called dicky bush on twitter who has a thing called ship 30 for 30 that he started re- uh, recently uh, and that's kind of cohort-based learning where it's you're, you're also benefiting from the community aspect but you have live teachers in a way yeah. Like you you go on and you've got them talking to you live and 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 it is a lot more like a university where you've got a lecturer that's kind of leading the lecture and then you have your own homework and stuff to take away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that there's a bigger shift towards that. The only thing is it is significantly more expensive. Mm. It's really interesting, like when you're talking about the alumni and basically like the cohorts, because I guess really you take that for granted when you go physically to learn somewhere and you're put with a group. It's just part and parcel of it. You've always took it for granted, like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna be in this group and we're gonna work together. Like, you'd almost sort of like begrudgingly do it and like, oh, okay, I'll work with this group. But like, it seems like online, they're really selling that as like a majority deal in like your the course that you're buying. Mm. It's like, you can get this as part of the deal as well as learning. And it sounds like in your case with the Slack channel, like it seems like a real like central hub of like serendipity basically of like, we're going to just put like-minded people together and basically like by chance or by you putting yourself out there within this like container contained group, you have like more opportunity to meet like-minded people that sort of like are there for the same reasons you are. 
Yeah, I mean, I've I've been able to have a conversation, like one-on-one conversations with somebody in Toronto, somebody in New York, somebody in San mm. Francisco, somebody in Dubai. Uh, I think I'll probably end up, I'll, I'll be having one with a, with a chap in Mexico City uh, next week. So there's, yeah, there's a, it's an opportunity that phys- physical, uh, being based at a physical place doesn't offer you. I mean, granted, you get the opportunity to speak to international students that, that come over, but being able to talk to people who are like literally in different countries uh, is is sold as a benefit, mm. uh, and I think that 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 is what separates online from in person. Yeah, and is that kind of like it's hard to probably you to pinpoint it, but is that kind of like one of the main things to feel like you've got your money's worth is actually just the, so. the Slack channel rather yeah. than the uh, the presentations. Yeah, it's I would say that the the learnings definitely help, but I think. Uh, the, a lot of the value has come from the the people, the conversations I've been able to have, the uh, and just the the optionality that that then provides as well for the future. Because you now through kind of the uh, through the alumni network that they're creating, it means that I kind of remain indefinitely in the Slack. So mm. even as future cohorts go on, so like a guy that I was talking to, uh, I spoke to him twice now. I spoke to him yesterday, and I spoke to him um, the week before. Uh, he was on like the first cohort. So he's oh, not right. even in my, he's not even in my cohort. He was on oh, the first okay. cohort. <laughs> so you can have conversations with anyone in any cohort pretty much. Cohort uh, and then, OG. And, yeah. And then they also have cross fellowship, like session, like social sessions where yeah. they basically like match you with like somebody on a totally different course to you, mm. which is, which is almost like trying to foster like at, at uni when you meet people that are on a different course to you. Yeah, it sounds like really like profit through facilitation is like yeah. essentially what it is. At some point, I feel like that could be like the main business model. It's like, well, we can just like really hook up like like-minded people together. Like, oh, fuck the learning. We'll just like talk to each other and we'll learn yeah. that way. We'll just like, I don't know, it's almost like a, it feels like a, a hackathon would be in like what we do at work in that you have an idea and somebody presents you this idea, like we want to fix this problem, and you just like mash people together that have never met each other before, and like you learn through that process of basically just like we have a common goal, mm. and in your case on deck, the common goal is to learn about writing. Although obviously you've talked about these different cohorts, and by that chance alone, it's enough to get people to like talk and learn from each other. And like, did you, you mentioned about like people in your cohort like critiquing your your piece? which I thought was quite interesting. Yep. So I had to, so we, we have um, weekly writers workshops where uh, each week, three, four people will put forward a piece of writing that they've done. Mm. Uh, they you, know, you sort of submit that a few days before. And then it you go onto the drive, onto the, you do it in Google Docs, and then you go onto the Google Doc like two or three days later and you've just got lots of feedback. Now you could do that anyway. So any so they've actually got like a channel called drafts like drafts feedback and you can submit you can basically put a a link there for anybody to just go in and like comment on it Mm. you can even do it for ideas and stuff like that Uh, and that's open to all cohorts that one is Uh, but with this for the the workshop you then sit in the zoom and for like 10 minutes each or 10 15 minutes for each person uh, well for each piece of work people are just talking about the work like talking about what you've written, you've got to remain silent. Yeah. You're not allowed to talk. You've just got to listen to what everyone has to say about what you've done. Yeah. And then at the end, you're then allowed to speak. 
and and kind of ask people questions based on the feedback that they've given. So you might say, you know, your your feedback is it based on this uh, or, or whatever, or you're able to provide perhaps a bit more context, uh, whatever. So yeah, it's it's an inter- it's 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 an interesting way of, of 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 learning. But then as well, they said that although once you go, so the the, the cohort, so that sorry, the workshops are facilitated by on deck for that cohort and for the the kind of the active cohort as it were but then what they've said is is that the previous cohorts basically like run their own workshops after the course has been undone after the, af- yeah yeah wow okay and they and, and on deck doesn't facilitate that mm. they just do it themselves yeah and I, like that that happens all the time you know like i'm thinking completely off topic but with like my american football learning the playbook you'll always have like pockets of people that go oh do you want to learn the playbook together sort of thing yeah and that always happens I feel like in any case but like why wouldn't you though like especially if you've formed a decent bond with these people mm-hmm. just because the the course has ended doesn't mean that like you just cease to talk to them which is the same as physical uni as well you know you make friends in physical I keep calling it physical uni I, I don't feel like I've got a better <laughs> term for it now yeah, so I, I guess like the real shift that, that I'm seeing is actually like online learning was quite a solitary thing. Like traditionally, it seems like I I prefer it personally. But what's happening now is that the community, the online community side of things is really being like uh, exaggerated, like, like pushed forward. And like, you know, this is actually where the benefit is. There's no reason for you to be online and be alone in your learning because it's very clear that that isn't if like efficient for learning at all it seems like you can learn a lot more just from like engaging in conversation with people that are trying to do the same thing as you which is you know what we do on the podcast is like we learn a lot from each other just by talking so I I kind of really it seems really obvious and obviously like Dickie Bush I think what he's doing seems really obvious but nobody ever ever did it initially it's like well just bring these people together and like let's learn as a group which is kind of like Mm. a book club sort of thing isn't it and that's kind of like the, the biggest shift I've seen with online learning. And I certainly feel like it has way more benefits now than sort of like what I'm going to call on-prem learning. Um, because, you know, as well, like you're talking about on deck. Yes, it has live sessions, but if you miss those sessions, like they're all they're all recorded anyway. Yeah. So there was a session with uh, with uh, Polina, who is, who, as you call Pomp's wife. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't on. say that, should I? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Polina. And I, I wasn't able to to make the session. So I, and, and it was a question that I wanted to ask you. So I sent a message to the guy who like runs, who's kind of running the session and running the, sort of the interview with her. Uh, and I, and, and he was able to like ask it on my behalf. And then I was able to just go the next day and watch the, uh, watch the, the recording. Mm. And what's great as well is I can watch the sessions from like every cohort. Oh, okay. Like, I, I could watch all of the really old cohort uh, uh, episodes as well. And then sometimes they even do like the occasional like cross cohort video as well. Mm-hmm. So they might have one that's about, that's like founding a company or whatever. Uh, and it's like one that's for everyone rather than just the people that are on the on deck uh, founders course. So it is, it, 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 it is a, a, a lot more flexible. Yeah. I think where I think we're on on prem learning is <laughs> on prem learning. <laughs> on prem <laughs> is uh, it's going to sort of still be significant is kind of in the in the prestigious places like mm. going to Oxford going to Cambridge going to Harvard 
is still going to carry with it a prestige. Yeah. I think it is... So I don't think that they should feel threatened. But I do think the middle tier universities and the lower tier universities should feel threatened. I think like our university wasn't a top tier university, but one of the things that it did do that was that uh, that it used to kind of sell itself was the number of students that it supported in getting a job post-graduation and how mm. I think it was like 67% of students got a, a graduate job uh, or at least like a job earning X amount of money within six months of graduation. That is that is very valuable to be able to do. Some, I think online learning can't facilitate that or at least yet. it's difficult to, yet. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, and with the, the we were discussing first episode, our very first episode of remote working, remote working and a push in that direction will definitely help with that because yeah. there's no longer the geographical constraint. Uh, so you can do an online, you can do an online course and then they find you a, they find your remote job. And in fact, you know what? Uh, I'm now going to swing the other way. I'm, I'm, I'm swinging the other way now because I think about uh, Lambda School. Yeah. So, so Lambda School, I think it's got, I, I quite enjoy the way they pitch themselves. They call themselves the American dream as a service. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Lambda School is basically like an online school that teaches you how to code. Yeah. But they don't charge you any fees. What right. you do is you then, they, you enter an income sharing agreement with them once you find a job. Okay. So when you, when you find a job, you then pay them X amount of your salary. Which and I think it's a, a percentage amount for a certain number of years. So I think it does work out to be greater than a student loan. Yeah. But it comes with the insurance that you are not. If you you get a if you get a you enter university if you don't get a job after, it's a bit different in the UK. I was going to say, is this like really in the context of the UK? This is kind of not an advantage, but in America it is. Yeah. In America, you're paying whatever, and that's just a side note. It's one of the things that really annoys me when people complain about student loans in the UK. In the UK, people complain a lot about student loans because it's about £9,000 a year. But the thing to bear in mind is that you only start paying it back after you earn £27,000 a year. And it comes out pre-tax from your salary and you only pay like £100 a month. Mm -hmm. you, you compare that to a guy that I was talking to uh, who's on On Deck who was telling about his student loan that was over $100,000 and he was paying something like $1,000 to $2,000 a month. Yeah. And that comes out after tax. And as well, it does, the American government, or I think it's, it's got a really funny name. For us, it's a funny name. Uh, it's called Fannie Mae. Right. Uh, for America, it's about, well, don't sound that's funny, <laughs> but for us, it's a funny name. Uh, they don't give a fuck how much you're earning. Yeah. <laughs> they want the money. That's mad. And, and you don't, you have to pay it. You, you, you have to be making the payments yourself. You have to organize the payment. It doesn't just come out of your salary like it does for us. It's only if you enter delinquency, do you, does it then basically route the money to Fannie Mae? It's kind of like a ride or die degree then, isn't it? It's like, mm. well, you better get going 100% from the word go because otherwise yep. you're going to be in like bad financials way. Yeah. So that's why, so that's why, yeah, you make a good point that, in the UK, the the stuff the way that Lambda School uh, pitches itself probably isn't as isn't as much of an advantage for us. I guess they just have to change their business model to like the repayments are cheaper than the repayments of the British yeah. student loan. I mean, it's going to be quite hard to do, but so I guess is that kind of why it's called Lambda School? In that you know, an AWS Lambda is only like you pay for what you use, certain things. 
Do you reckon I have that's no why? Idea. <laughs> well, well, lambda is lambda is a function as a service, isn't it? Yeah, but I was thinking Half Life and oh uh, right, <laughs> Black Mesa and uh, the the Half Life of chemicals and stuff like that. But mm. but I think uh, what what that does show though is that the and again this is a more of a UK specific thing, but the the government support for on-prem universities. I, I did. <laughs> it's got like it called on-prem <laughs> uh, for on-prem universities. Is there? Yeah. On deck has a like a payout plan, so you can pay it across like four monthly instalments. But I'm still having to pay like a, a the equivalent of a few hundred dollars each month for university. I'm I'm not I'm not paying anything up front. Mm. The it's got the the credit of the government is is back in that. So what I wonder is how government support is going to have to work for online learning. Yeah, and I guess will, will there will there be an opportunity for online learning providers to be able to sort of register for yeah some sort of support from the government or register as like an official agent so that way they can uh, they can utilize student loan paper. Because the other thing to bear in mind is if you go post grad, I think it's like. If you do a master's within the first couple of years of graduating, I think the government here backs it. If you do it after a certain period, the government will only give you like a certain amount of money towards. So if I, for example, if I now, if I wanted to do a master's, I would have to pay a certain amount. Yeah. And then as well, at postgraduate education, universities can charge whatever they want. So if you look at like MBAs, an MBA... Uh, Mass and Business Administration, which is kind of considered to be like one of the most sort of prestigious degrees to get. If you want to get a, if you want to get that from the most prestigious business school in in the UK, for example, which is like the London Business School, you're paying like at least eighty thousand pounds. Okay. Government ain't backing you on, on that eighty thousand. No, yeah, <laughs> they're not going to square you away with that at all. No. Mm. And that's it's when a... you then have to get loans. That's when you then have to get loans like Americans would do. With and and these ones come with interest rates and well, you know but like we're talking about like real higher level education here as well aren't we so it's like the government sees you up to a point where you can fend for yourself and you can get your foot in the door at a, at a business so I yeah suppose but, it's only fair but on the point of the the point that I was making earlier about retraining reskilling mm. it is something the government needs to support. Because it will have a negative consequence for the government because it will cause unemployment to rise and it will cause an increase in, in benefits, more pe- less people are spending, there's less, uh, there's less skill, there's less labour that is relevant to the current economy of the country and the, therefore the economy isn't able to grow as fast, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why I think that for online learning, there will need to be a level of, or at least online retraining there will need to be a way in which the government is is supporting. Yeah, it's it's crazy because like once that shift happens, whereby the government recognizes online learning as like a legitimate path, I'm kind of thinking like you know like an ISO audit or something that a company would have to do, but like for learning to be like an accredited. Yeah, there the, the would have to be because I mean, imagine if it's it's a bit like like the this is going to sound odd, but like the apprenticeship scheme. In, mm-hmm. in the UK. So the the apprenticeship scheme, uh, I don't think they have them in, in the US, but the, the idea is that you do like a course, like you're learning, but you're learning on the job. So you do 
some level of like accreditation that gets you some sort of certificate in some cases degree and you're learning on the job as well so you, you're you're working you're in a real world scenario and then you're also doing academic education and it's split i think about 60 40 between work and learning but because when you get apprentices on the government subsidize some of the the wages mm-hmm. and the companies are the companies don't have to pay the minimum wage so one that was given like a, people that were really kind of given an example of was subway so in first so there are some companies that take apprenticeships really really seriously the company that i work for takes apprentices really really seriously i'm not just saying it as like a disclaimer or, or, or whatever but there are some companies that do take it really seriously but subway basically had a thing called sandwich artists Oh my God. And we're paying them like five pounds something an hour. And for context, the minimum wage in the UK is about eight pound 50 now. I think it is like. I'm not, oh yeah, I'm not in the loop with it. So I'll no. just see. We're, we're fortunate in the fact that we don't need to. Be. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, I think it's like Served eight my to time. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was about, I think it's about nine pound or, or just under nine pound. They were able to pay them like, like sub six pound. Such and sandwich artists. Why would you be signing up for that though? So, yeah, why would you? <laughs> why would you? Uh, so, it's it's just about making sure that in the same way that a company has exploited apprenticeships, that a company doesn't exploit online learning. Yeah, you'd have like random online learning portals just being Fucking spun up. Forex traders. <laughs> yeah, forex like, traders. Like use your use your government online learning allowance for uh so that, that way you can make a million pounds a day trading yeah. forex. Get wrecked on leverage on day one, course over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's um it's kind of wacky to think about and like I really like talking about the advantage of well what does an on prem uni have like as as an advantage. And you're obviously talking about prestige, but like if this shift happens, then you could have online co- like online portals, online learning courses that have that same prestige in the future. Well, you, you sort of do. So you've got the the MOOCs, which are massively online. Oh, I can't remember what it stands for now. I'm not making it up. It's, uh, it, it's it a massively thing called... online, online community. <laughs> it's, 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 it's... it's a MOOC, massive open online course. That's it. Uh, okay. And... These are provided by some a lot of universities, so like Stanford, Harvard, they all do it, where you're basically getting the, for that course, you can get like a Stanford computer science education for free. Mm. You just don't get a piece of paper at the end. Oh no, you get a digital one. No. Well, you get, you get a digital one to, you get, sorry, you get a digital one to say you completed the course. Yeah. But it's, well, it's more like a, well, sorry, it's the modules rather than the courses, sorry. Right. So they put up the modules. So they're not putting up the whole, so you're not getting the three-year Stanford education. You're getting, yeah. for that module, you can get like the first-year computer science education. But the important thing is, is you do is you did not attend Stanford. By, by doing this course, you did not attend Stanford. You did not sit an exam. So you didn't get a X GPA in, while you're in Stanford. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Yeah, that's so strategic, isn't it? It's almost like pretty scummy, I feel. But like that's just them combating what is going to be naturally an evolution into the online learning, isn't it? Because I, I fully believe that it's going to be the majority at some point. And like most of our lives will be online. It might even be, you know, we were talking about VR. You might even attend uni in VR. So I just think um, 
the only advantage that then a university could serve is for something like like f- something physical like mechanical engineering which again yeah. right can be combated by vr like if you had a yeah. an online simulation where you could do the mechanics in 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 the vr it would be insane so, is it going to be the, like the real thing i'm not too sure but yeah. so that's so we actually have that at, at work oh, so fuck. The, the the company that i work for does is a utility company it has a large sort of civil engineering arm to it because it's a utility company and they've opened a, a, like what they call like a training academy a dedicated place for for learning and they are doing they have got vr packages that simulate certain scenarios wow uh, in in civil engineering yeah that was that was one of the that was one of the projects one of my first projects when i joined them was uh implementing how to implement that yeah that's cool because that's the thing isn't it like that's like in my head that's the one thing apart from prestige which is this like bullshit thing anyway it's just like made up the one thing they have is the physical aspects of like tinkering Mm. with things like a raspberry pi if you're a software dev or whatever but like if you can then do that in virtual reality anyway it's like the last nail in the coffin in my eyes it's like well why the fuck do we need to to go there anyway yeah i I think i i think that prestige yeah prestige is just going to be the the big thing and the various kind of alumni slash alma mater kind of network because Mm. they say that like you should almost if you're if you're like a if you're a student of a prestigious university and you want to get a job somewhere you almost go through the alumni network to find somebody who already works at that company that went to your, went to your university. And then you use that as your way of kind of like connecting with them. And then through that, it's almost like a way of you can either, because in a way it's, you know, you, you, you've got to find the the advantages. You've got to find ways to get yourself there and anything you can do that takes you an extra step towards that. You're going to take it. You know, I think I, I, as annoying as it sounds and as, as it, We'd do it. I'd do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm rolling my eyes right now because it, it reeks. It fucking reeks. That I don't like it, but yeah, we'll, we'll roll with it. It's what it is, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah. So that's where, yeah, like where, where I think on-prem learning still thing. And then there's also the kind of social side of it all as well. Yeah, because it just, the reason I don't like it is because it's so against like equal opportunity in my eyes. It's this like systemic. Just but university itself is not, university itself is not equal opportunity. no. No, You've got to get a certain level of grades to get in. Mm. They're trying to make this in the UK. They're trying to make it a bit more equal where uh, it's, I think it's turning out that actually to get into Oxford and Cambridge, it is now a disadvantage to have gone to a private school. Really? Yeah. Going to private school now puts you at a disadvantage of getting into Oxford and Cambridge. Wow. That is, that is pretty crazy considering how expensive it is as well. But, but they're having to do that intentionally. Yeah. So that's, that's them. That's Oxford and Cambridge specifically saying, uh, you know, we, we recognize that we've got, a lot of private school people coming in so we're going to we're going to inter- try and intentionally get uh, x portion of people come from from comprehensives what a dilemma that is though but again that itself is not equal opportunity no i think no, because right. then the people because it because it is giving somebody an advantage you're not basing it purely off of merit you are basing it off of the fact that this person went to a comprehensive versus versus a private school like previously mm. it was like Oh, they went to a private school. They went to a comprehensive school. The private school person would like to get in. And now it's like, you're just switching that, but that's not actually solving the problem, I don't think. No, no. 
it's kind of like trying to make up for your wrongdoings in the past yeah. by doing like the opposite, which just isn't, you know, eye for an eye makes the world blind. So yeah, yeah, that is crazy. But I, you know, I don't think you're going to get rid of that prestige on online learning. You know, as you say, like MOOCs, you can have prestigious online communities that maybe companies actually see as a legitimate pathway to learn. Whereas somebody that's like, oh, I've just done a few Pluralsight courses, like no chance, mate, you're not getting in because you haven't paid for a course that we recognize. But- but what I see though is, is that is that that's what some companies are doing. So my company previously was working with would work with QA, and you would do QA training courses, and you would do them physically. So I've been on, I've done two physical training courses with with QA. One of them was quite nice because I got to go to London. And it was all expenses paid in London. But now it's all online. Yeah, which annoys me. I mean, in in truth, the the kind of learning. The, the cohort-based learning that I have with on deck feels different to the cohort-based learning that I do on the training. And it's really I'd, I'd agree with you. I've, I've had that experience myself, yeah. Because with the training cohort being delivered by QA or, I mean, in my case, QA, but it could be whomever, I'm kind of like, it, it annoys me because I'm having to wait for others. But it's because they don't, they don't emphasize the community side. They only emphasize the learning, which is completely mm. different to what on deck is doing. And that's yeah, where it's, QA falls short in my eyes. But then because I think as well, it's a technical education mm. where with on deck, it's more, it's like being at a uni where you, you can converse and you can debate and stuff with the QA, it being more technical training. It's kind of like, right. Is everyone managed to log into Azure? Teacher like, student. Oh no, yeah. no, I can't. I can't get into Azure. <laughs> yeah. And, and it turns out that what it was, was that they, didn't follow the basic instructions yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. And now suddenly I'm there thinking, fuck's sake, like if you had just done this as a video, I could have just gone through this myself 1.5 times speed. Yeah, yeah. And 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 done it myself. But where I previously worked did get gave everyone a plural site subscription and an A Cloud Guru subscription. So sorry, my 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 current employer is now using QA's online platform. So QA now to have Do an they? online learning platform, yeah, called QA Academy, which they did not know that. they bought a company that they didn't do it all themselves. They basically bought a company to give slap them... some branding on top. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, my previous employer was letting people use. You get a Cloud Guru, or you'd get a plural site subscription, and you would, yeah. you would learn through there, which is what your experience has been, isn't it? Yeah, well, you, was... you've had experience of both, haven't you? Of of like cohort training and and self paced learning. Yeah, and like I, I, you know, you talked about all expenses paid trip to London. Like that's the benefit. So you get a little bit yeah. of a jolly. You know, you just go on a jolly. Like I, I just feel like I've been on courses at QA, like in London, or I think there was one in Leeds as well, which was Global Knowledge. And it's just like you come, you come away from it. It's been five days of like full time learning, and it's just like, what the fuck have I actually learned? And it is because of this, like. <laughs> It's just the, the amount of money that they charge as well is like scary. And like the expenses mm. on top of the hotel, the food, all of that other shit. Like if I was a, you know, a business owner, I'd be thinking there's no way I'm sending my employees on it because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to. No, not now with, with online, with online learning. I mean, I've, I actually have said to my manager though, I've said to him, look, if, if you're not going to do on-prem learning with QA, <laughs> then uh i'm i'm not doing a, a live cohort training yeah i've said just i want videos that i can yeah. do at my own pace i i, I can't because because as well 
the great thing that again the thing about on deck is on deck isn't a full day it's mm. like an hour session each day or two one hour sessions each day and it's kind of spread about but when it's a full week of with the headphones on and having to pay attention and do all that it is just it's exhausting yeah more so than and, and you don't get the jolly, you don't get the relief. And then because as well, because you're at home, it's kind of seemed like you also should be working. Yeah. When yeah. I was on, on when I was doing on-prem learning, I, I didn't. There's, there is a bunch of problems wrong with it, I think, as well. Like a lot of the courses I've done are click this button, then do this, then click this. Whereas like, you know, I, I kind of prefer these like, we have a problem, we need to solve it. How would you best do it? Yeah. And then have the the teacher just guide us through and say, look, you've done it this way, but actually with Kubernetes, you could have done it this this way. Yeah, like, you go into, you get stuck, use some level of like the innovation that online training provides and go into like a breakout session and perhaps everyone in yeah. a small group has to try and discuss what they would do. And it's kind of jumping off one another because I think the only benefit that I find with the light, with the training, with the sort of the technical training that's on a cohort thing is hearing what other people from other companies have done. Mm-hmm. And when they say, "Oh, we've done this with Azure," or "We're we're implementing this in this way," and yeah. that is interesting. The problem is, is that in in most cases, it's very difficult to then sort of get their details to then kind of ask them follow up questions perhaps afterwards and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, you mentioned this. Can I ask you a bit more about that?" That's a bit more. That's that's more difficult. But that's the only benefit that I really see from from the live training courses. Sorry, yeah. from the, the, the online training courses. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And to be honest, like, I think I would be actively pushing against it if I was ever to be sent on one. I'd be like, look, what do you want me to learn? OpenShift. Okay, I'll just go on Pluralsight because yeah. I feel like on like own pace learning is such an advantage. And like you've talked about 1.5 times speed. And like, there is a lot of waffle in these courses that like yep. you don't really need. Like I just need the information. There's a lot to take in as is. So if we can just like speed up the pieces that I don't need, like, let's just crack on. And there is just a lot of waffle that it's just, it's just bloating, isn't it? I guess it's just part of going physically to learn somewhere. Yeah. To be honest, I'm super in favor of online learning. Like I hope, I hope, I hope it just continues to, to, to increase. Do, do you think you would go on a cohort based course? You know, yeah. From what you've said, like absolutely would. Yeah. I think as well, like one thing to consider with, with on deck is you have to buy into it. And obviously like physically you have bought into it, but at the same time, I could like go on on deck and like never use the Slack. It sounds like you're going out there, putting yourself out on the channels to get stuff back. Do you know what I mean? So I think it is just about your own attitude towards the online learning and the alumni in in order to get like the benefits out of it that they they give. Um, The thing they've did that's quite clever as well is they've really created this flywheel of if you're an on deck alum, you get, I think it's like 25% off on all other courses that you can do yeah there's, there's a guy i was talking to one guy um he's in like 12 who, he was in <laughs> he, he was in seattle he's doing three at the moment oh, what, all at the same time yep oh my god he's doing three at the moment he's subscribed to another one to the next cohort for for a different fellowship wow and he's also doing ship 30 for 30 jesus he said that he's just bored at work <laughs> <laughs> He's like automated his job and he's just doing on deck courses like, and stuff. Yeah. Fair play. Which is one of the benefits of remote working as well is is the flexibility. I mean, I do some on deck when I'm when I'm working, when there's like law periods, 
Yeah. Uh, the writer's workshop is at three o'clock on Wednesday. So I book my, my work calendar out and say three o'clock, I'm not available. And then I could just jump on a call and be speaking to people in Argentina, in California, in New York, like all over the world mm. for, for an hour, which is, um, which is one of the, 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 the cool things about online learning. Yeah. I mean, we've said so many advantages, you know, I can't even see a way that, you know, on-prem learning ever has its place in the future, to be honest. No, I mean, even even going all the way, going further down, and you look at, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, Pomp has, has been tweeting about it recently because he's had an investment in it. There's a company called Synthesis School, which is like online, not online, it's kind of online learning, uh, but for children. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a guy, an educator, who Elon Musk like employed to teach his kids because Elon like wanted his kids to learn problem solving as opposed to particular academic okay so they won't go like a particular academic route but he almost wants to like homeschool his kids and like teach them how to self solve problems so this guy sort of was doing that delivering it and then went hmm what if i deliver this to everyone yeah so he then created a thing called synthesis school which is for kids and they you they create like simulations and things and teach them teach kids problem solving online Mm. and the I mean the and the reviews for it are really good and I think what's what's big for 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 online learning is the is just the reviews. So yeah. if you think about it, like particularly I think an example of this is is Dickie Bush's ship thirty for thirty, is people are producing content every day and all the and and as they're producing these atomic essays, these screenshots, it's got ship thirty for thirty branding in it. Yeah. So, so when the cohorts are on, if you're in that cert, if you're in that specific like like corridor of of Twitter, you're just getting fucking inundated. Yeah, it's like fly with, my minions. With, 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 <laughs> yeah, with 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 ship thirty for thirty stuff, but it's all not specific marketing. It's just people putting up their content that they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 not it's kind of almost like subtle marketing as opposed to really blatant promoted content that you can tell is promoted yeah it's like native it's like native advertising but yeah so i think with but yeah so with, with this synthesis school that's a, a an example of how we're thinking when when we've been talking about online learning we've kind of been talking about it exclusively in the realms of post-18 education mm-hmm. but there's a lot of room for it even sub-18 yeah and when you think about it a lot of children now are native to the internet so the idea of an online school, online they're going to be used to online school because schools have to move that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point because um, I was thinking during the pandemic, like that was probably one of the worst things that was affected is is children learning because there was just yeah. no facilities for that to happen online. And I think taking the the school model and putting that online, yeah. we're not all that engaging, but something like problem solving and creating these sort of simulations where... There's, it's like gamification uh, of it, basically. Yeah. Like there was that there's a video that was just interesting of like where it was these kids talking about their experience and about it and how there was like this one kid who because they almost did like a thing after they they do a thing afterwards where they almost ask the kid why they did that thing. And it, this one this one lab was like saying how, well, I knew that I wasn't good at that thing, so I said that this person should be in charge. And it's like at the age of like eight or nine to have developed that level of self-awareness. Yeah. And and sort of have that level of the, almost the the soft skills that they're, de- they're being developed at such a young age through that type of learning is going to be 
so much more important than knowing algebra at, yeah. at a young age. Yeah, it's a good point because I was thinking for him to be self-aware that he wasn't good at that thing is the first step to you becoming better at that thing. And yeah. like saying, I need to learn this thing. Like similar with you with your writing fellowship, you're like, oh, I need to be better at writing. I need to do something about it. And like, that's that's that fundamental like problem solving of, in your head of like, how do I get better? Yeah, I think but, that's but really I think as well, what it's, what it's doing is it's embedding at a young age skills that are so, so important that aren't technical, that... Yeah. If if you've got somebody who is more technically gifted, but totally lacks those soft skills, self awareness, and stuff, <laughs> and yeah, they're 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 less. They look less good as an as an employee if they can't if you can't work with people. Mm. And it's one of the things like I, I I believe is like university students. Everyone that's I mean I think every university student should in some way find an opportunity to do part time work or volunteer somewhere because it teaches you how to work in a group, teaches you how to work with people. And then through that, when you eventually go to get a graduate job or get a job post-university, you are uh, you look better because you look more rounded as an individual because you haven't, just got, you haven't just got an academic education, but you've also got the ability to say, I worked in a, in a team, uh, I, I was able to do this and, and sort of take the, the various soft skills that you learned from your part-time or voluntary job and, and apply that into the workplace. So yeah, I think uh, being able to teach that at a very young age and using online to do that is definitely the, the way for is definitely a way forward. And personally, I think look at those reviews. If I had a child, I would definitely sign them up for um, for that. Yeah, I suppose it's a testament to sort of the agility that online learning has in terms of like they aren't in these like weird curriculum traditions, these like deep scars or grooves of like learning should be done this way in schools like it's unchanged for fucking decades and, and well, like... when they do when they do change it they do really stupid things so for example like do you know that like often my learning isn't getting taught anymore in really british schools because they don't because it's an american book and they want to teach kids british literature so they've they've got rid of so no no longer is of mice and men being taught in schools mm. And that's just a stupid thing to do, isn't it? Like that's just a stupid curriculum decision to make. Yeah, it's not important in my eyes. No, it's not. A, it's not a significant change. But I mean, if Marissa Men's a good book, and our teacher did a really good impression of Lenny. <laughs> yeah, but like at the same time, like why are they why are they learning sort of like traditional literature? Like why why don't we learn something like you know people writing newsletters or. Mm. you know somebody's online twitter persona like why is that not being recognized as like a form of writing yet like it's just so it's so cumbersome and slow to adopt to like what is actually happening in the real world because i'm I'm gonna be honest i fucking hated jekyll and hyde yeah we had to read jekyll and hyde i fucking hated jekyll and hyde i i did awful i did awful in the um in in english with jekyll and hyde because i just struggled i just struggled with it because as well i think what it does is I mean, I could realise this just now, just sort of turning into about the, about, about the education system. But ship sailing. The I I found that now, like there was a, a after school, there was a massive gap between when of, of me reading books. I just stopped reading books. Now I read a lot of books, but that's because I'm not being forced to read the books. I'm reading stuff of my own interest. Yeah. Rather than having to read like shit. Now maybe I will go back and read Jekyll and Hyde again, but I think being forced to read it is just and then having to be like what does 
What does Robert Louis Stevenson mean with Jekyll and Hyde? What is what is he trying to represent with Jekyll and Hyde? Yeah. So I don't fucking know. And I can say what it is that I think it is, but in some way I'm probably wrong. Yeah. It's, I think they had the same thing with, is it Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein? And it's like, oh, how is this book like deemed like levels of erotica and like passion and romance? It's like, I don't know. I thought it was about a bloke getting stitched together and like being like <laughs> reanimated. And uh, I don't know, like, but that, you know, they are stuck between a rock and a hard place in that. Like, if you went, oh, okay, kids, like, bring your own books in, people would be bringing in fucking like Captain Underpants and like Guinness yeah. Book of Records or something stupid, you know? So maybe it's just something like now we look back, we have the maturity to go, oh, you know, I would actually like to bring in this book of like, I don't know, one about like the, the birth of Bitcoin or something, you know that we now are interested in that we absolutely wouldn't have brought into school. Yeah. Um, there, there is, there has to be a level of guidance, but that's what I'm saying is like, I feel like the guidance is misaligned with what is going on in the world today. And like, it needs mm-hmm. to be, it, it seems like it's kind of like centralized. There's like, I don't know how it, how the education, education system works in the UK, whether it is like all the schools get told by the the government or whatever, this is what you're learning. Yeah. Generally there is a, a, a curriculum that's set at the, at the top. I think, there's a level of discretion at which they can shift from that. But bearing in mind that when you have a standardized testing system, you've yeah. got to teach everyone the same thing. Yeah. Everyone's got to be taught the same thing for them to all be tested on it. Yeah, I suppose so. It just doesn't seem like it's it's right. I don't know. It just seems a bit off. At least they if they're gonna I was I was hoping that you could like per school you could like provide your own sort of style of curriculum. At least yeah. maybe for a few modules. Um, and then you could get tested on maybe more the centralized modules. I'm not sure, but it, this is a thing like going back to sort of like online learning. They don't have these sort of like rigidities in that they can just do and teach whatever they want to, and people can buy into that, and that, and that's enough. It's just that they need to be. Yeah, recognized. you're not you're not being pushed down. You know, there's a level of choice. Yeah, I mean, you think about in in the UK GCSEs. So sort of you when you're you choose them when you're what. 15 we chose them when we were 14 uh, and then you finish them at 16 but we finished them at 15 you you choose you can choose a few but there are a lot in which you have to do yeah you, you have to do them and that's uh, english maths and science and then there's uh you know there's i think there's like religious education that's sort of, um, physical education and some of them i can understand like but i think like english as much as i enjoy writing as much as i enjoy reading I can't tell you specifically what I've learned from English, doing English in year nine through to year 11. Yeah. That I was really able to take away. And actually I'd write, I'd prefer to have been able to say, no, I don't want to do English. Like I feel like maths, I, I, I learned more from, but I actually think that with English, I think you learn most of it. Provide Once you get to a reasonable reading age, because uh, I was at a young age, I was a prodigy in, in literacy. Like I, I, <laughs> In year in year one, I had the reading age of a year six. <laughs> year just, one. just 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 gotta just gotta point that out because right. uh, my mum my mum always brings it up because that's the only time she's been proud of me. And, <laughs> uh, but like I feel like once you get to once you finished sort of your your, your primary education, I think that you, you've gained in, in the skills there. I think that's it. I can read, I can write, and I can speak. I can formulate sentences. I know how to punctuate. Yeah, chilling. Now let me choose my own thing that I want to learn instead of dropping English. Instead of doing English. Now I'm now there are some people though that do really enjoy English literature, do really enjoy that that sort of stuff, and like 
they will have an opinion on what Jekyll and Hyde meant and whatever. And that's their interest. And I think they should be allowed to pursue that. Personally, it's not for me, so I don't want to do that. I'm more mathematically, uh, scientifically minded, so I would rather do maths. But it's mm. it's about the it's about just the there's some choice that you get given, but I think there needs to be a greater choice rather than it being so rigid. Yeah, and I think like you were talking about like what uh, courses on deck provides, and they seemed more like niches. So it yeah. was about specific things, you know. Where whereas like a great example would be one of the choices we had in GCSE and A-level is media studies. But that's so broad, especially in today. Like there's so much different different forms of media, like mm. podcasting being one of them. Like why can't that not be its own module? I yeah. just think that there's that, there's things are too generalized, too broad for you to actually retain something that is worthwhile in the current day when you go and off f- and leave school. And for it to turn into a skill. Yeah. Because there, there are some things where it's not, trying to turn into skill i think media studies is one where it's trying to develop some level of skill ict i mean we can talk about the state state of computing education for a long time but things like mathematics you're not really learning a specific skill you're just gaining a a, a broad understanding and it's important that you gain that broad understanding of mathematics but yes I, i i think you're right i think in those ones where they're trying to develop skills they are not specific enough to properly develop skill yeah and it's something yeah. that can be done. Like I think in at school, I genuinely think a fifteen-year-old, if they were to have on-deck podcasting, they could learn how to podcast. Yeah, and they could set their own one up. You're smiling, but I'm I'm genuinely seriously with you on that. Yeah, why not? What? Why is this like association with age to be like? Oh, you know, you're you're not old enough yet to be targeting specific niches. It's almost like you have to do your generalization learning before you can do your niches. Like fuck off with that shit, man. Like if anything. It's those 15 year olds that have the best opportunity to like get into like, if you want to be an influencer, fair enough, fine. But it is a media company that you're running. So Mm. you need to learn about these specific skills. Like it's just, I don't know, man. It's just, it just needs to change. And like, it's because it's because it's being run by those that are generationally completely different to what we are. Boomers. I didn't want to say it, but. Boomers. Yeah, we're not we're not afraid to say boomers on No, this. you know, and like when that when that happens, when that changes and we're the boomers, I think things will be very, very different. Yeah, I agree. So I think I think, yeah. I, I like the way we've sort of should end on that note of just how yeah. the, the, the bull case for online education and then the massively bear case for the way education is currently packaged and delivered. And we welcome the change. Yes. Yes we do. Uh, so yes, I think that's uh, that's. I mean, this is a, a quite a longer episode because <laughs> it because it almost seems to have just turned this primal rage that we <laughs> yeah. that, that that we had for the education system. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so um, thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Future Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, DM us on Twitter. I'm at BT Kluska. And I'm at Harry Moy. Everything we've discussed in this episode is linked in the show notes. See you next week.